Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Today we want to look at John the Baptist and Jesus. Last week we looked at just John the Baptist mainly. And uh, we'll just uh, take a little step back and then forge ahead here in verses 15 through 20. When Gabriel appeared to Zacharias to inform him that his wife would have a son named John, he told him, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Uh, When Jesus Christ addressed the multitudes of people, he said concerning John, among those that are born among women, of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Uh, What exactly was it that John did that made him so successful in God's estimation? Was it numbers? Uh, Was it dollars? Uh, Was it his popularity? Uh, Was it his reception by the people? Was it the duration of his ministry? You know, if we analyze John's ministry by these uh, pieces of criteria, I'd say he was a big flop. Uh, He didn't have big numbers of disciples. He didn't have much money. Uh, He wasn't too popular. He was not well received. and He didn't have a ministry that lasted very long. In fact, he ended up being rejected, jailed, and then beheaded. If you analyze John by man's criteria, he wasn't a, a success. He was a failure. Yet both Gabriel and Jesus said he was great. And Luke must have been interested in that because in his text here, he shows us what made him great. John was great in God's sight because he knew the truth of God. And he proclaimed the truth of God about Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God, regardless of the consequences. This is what made John great in God's sight. He knew the truth. He preached the truth. He wouldn't back down or back away, even in the presence of the most powerful people on earth. And that's what makes a ministry great. Great ministries are not numbers-oriented. They're righteousness-oriented. Great ministries are not proud, but they're humble. Great ministries are not self-focused, but they're Christ-focused. Great ministries are not about appeasing people. They're about communicating God's truth to people. And great ministries are not always popular with everyone, and sometimes they're rejected. That's the way it worked for John, and there was no one greater than him. Now, in our text this afternoon, Luke looks back a little bit at John's ministry. In fact, Luke is the only writer that points out the fact that John's preaching created a stir of popular speculation. There were five ministry observations that we make concerning John in the God's sight that made him great. We're going to look at those observations, and as we do, we take a step back and then we'll move on. First of all, John proclaimed his inferiority and Christ's superiority. If we look again at verse 15 and 16, it says, And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, 
whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John's preaching produced kind of a what we call a state of messianic expectancy. They were looking for Christ or the Messiah. Uh, there was a high level expectation of the things that John was talking about, what he was predicting, and, uh, and they were saying it must be very near. People were so moved by John's preaching that the coming Messiah, many believed that John would be, or could be the Messiah. And actually, Luke makes it clear that John was not the Messiah, but many were wondering in their hearts. The Jews were being dominated by the Romans, and it has been said, the miserable oppression of Israel, representing by the crushing taxation and the strong-armed intimidation by its rulers, sparked a desperate longing for God's intervention. Now, there is not a phony religious leader or cult leader who's ever existed who would not want to be in the position of John. According to verse 15, many people actually thought John was the Messiah. And false religious leaders would love that kind of thing because it would feed their egos and it give them the power uh, that they wanted and they desired and they hungered for and even wealth. But that was not the way it was with John. He was quick to point out his own inferiority. He wasn't some egotistical limelighter. He was a humble servant of God. And there are three differences between him and Christ that is that he would quick be quick to point out. First, John's baptism was inferior to Christ's baptism. In verse 16, he says, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh. John was baptizing people in the water of Jordan River, and he told people that his baptism was, was inferior to Christ, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, we covered this subject in our last message concerning the difference between spirit baptism, which took place subsequent to salvation and not at salvation. And again, spirit baptism only took place on a few occasions in the book of Acts. And we looked briefly at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and noted that the baptism, that baptism there is water baptism into the body of Christ, which is a New Testament local church. And when we receive salvation, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So no water baptism can save anyone from sin. In fact, the washing that brings salvation from sin and gives one regeneration is not the washing in water, but it's the washing with the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul said it this way, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So John's baptism was sort of a national baptism for Israel to, in which the Jew would acknowledge and admit that he did not have the righteousness necessary to get into the kingdom. So baptism in which the Jew admitted he was a sinner and needed a Savior to make him clean. 
We also noticed that John was a, when we called him a dispensationalist last week, because he understood his ministry was for a specific time. And that's what dispensationalism is. It's, it's dividing uh, the various time periods in which uh, God would work into uh, uh, clearly marked uh, divisions. And uh, so he was kind of a dispensationalist in this sense because he knew that his ministry was for a certain time and he clearly understood that Christ's ministry would be coming and it would be far superior to his. He knew that his water baptism was not on the same level of Christ. Now, great ministers understand dispensationalism, which is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Uh, now, what does it mean that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire? Well, a reference to Pentecost, I'm sure, is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 3, where there was a visible appearance of fire. But let's move on to another difference between John and Jesus. John's strength was inferior to Christ's strength. In verse 16, again, it says, But one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. Paul say, or John says, the one who is coming is much stronger and mightier than I. The one who's coming after me has all power and might and strength. He's the mighty God. And then thirdly, Jesus' worth was superior to John's worth. When John says, he, his latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, what he's saying is, I do not have the sufficiency as a sinner to even touch the least esteemed article of his clothing. John says, I am not worthy, which means I do not have the sufficiency, the ability, the competency to even loosen the straps of his shoes, or back then probably would be better called sandals. John used a tense that would teach that he continually saw himself unworthy of even touching the sandals of Jesus Christ. Now, in the world in which John lived, the job of taking off someone's sandals was the job of the lowest class slave. John is actually saying he's not even worthy enough to be in the lowest class of slaves for Jesus Christ. Now, this is the man whom Gabriel and Christ both said was the greatest prophet. This is the very godly man, a very, and his perspective of himself is, I am not worthy to even untie his shoes or untie or unloose his sandals. What a contrast to what many ministers who say, I am so worthy and I'm so scholarly, I deserve to be in the ministry. What a contrast to those who say, I'm so wonderful that I'm needed. But great ministers in the sight of God always testify of their own unworthiness and deficiency. Remember, Paul saw himself as what? The chief of sinners. And he was the, great, uh, he was the greatest in the grace age apostle. Greatness in God's sight is the, sees the inferiority of self and the superiority of Jesus Christ. That's what, what was the case for John. Now, if we go on to another observation, we notice that John proclaimed Christ's judgment 
of either saving or burning. Verse 17, whose fan is in his hand, and he will willingly purge his floor and will gather the wheat unto his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. So John is saying here, Jesus is the ultimate judge. And the winnowing fork of judgment is in his hands. He will either save or gather one into his barn, or he will burn one with fire unquenchable. Now, a winnowing fork was a large wooden shovel with, a sh with sharp ends, and it probably looked like a wooden fork. Uh, this shovel was used to throw the wheat or the corn or the grain up into the air, and then the wind would blow the chaff away, and the grain would fall to the ground. And the chaff would be blown at a little distance away by the wind. Now, when that pile of chaff was accumulated, the farmer would take it and burn it because it was worthless. So what John is saying is that when Jesus comes, he will judge everyone. He will determine his truly, uh, who is truly right with him, who isn't. Uh, he will let various winds blow on the people to determine who believes on him and who doesn't. And those who believe on him will be gathered up by him, and those who don't will be cast into the everlasting fire that is unquenchable. Now, as you can imagine, this message to the political and the religious leaders of Israel didn't go over too well. They were teaching that by following them, they would get them into the kingdom. John came preaching that one who would send them the, about the one who would send them to everlasting fire. So what John preached was if you reject Jesus Christ, you will not only be separated from believers, you will be burned. Thirdly, another observation here is that John preached the gospel to the people. Verse 18 says, And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. Now, John preached the gospel to the people. You have uh, exhortation, the words exhortation and the word preached indicate that he was continually preaching the truth about the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, there is the article the in there. Little words make a difference, okay? Don't just pass over little words. Sometimes uh, those are very important. He was... Many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people or the people. Now, that comes before the word people, so it means a specific people. The Pacific, this specific people, excuse me. I might go sailing on the Pacific here. Specific people was Israel. So John baptized people in the Jordan who admitted they were sinners. He continually proclaimed Jesus Christ, the one who would come, uh, who would come and save their, them from their sins. In fact, we know the Apostle John, that uh, was the same John, actually preached the grace of God. John 1, uh, 15 to 17, it says, John bear witness of him, crying, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me, and of his fullness have I received grace for grace. 
For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He apparently proclaimed that Jesus Christ would put an end to the law and they would believe in him, who would believe in him would be saved. So John was constantly exhorting people to believe on Christ. He was preaching to them. And this is what is the thing that made him great. Nothing will replace the greatness of preaching the truth of the mind of God. Nothing will ever replace a preacher who will continually proclaim the word of God as it connects to Jesus Christ and his grace. In God's estimation, that is a great ministry. Now, people try to make great ministries today by bringing in celebrities, bringing in all kinds of uh, uh, music that people like to hear. Nothing replaces the preaching of God's Word. Another observation would be that John proclaimed the guilt in those in high places. He proclaimed the guilt of those in high places. Verse 19, But Herod, the Tetrarch, being reproved by him, for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done. John was standing for the word of God. He was proclaiming the truth of the law, uh, of, the law of God, the word of God, no matter who was the audience. Herod had done many godless things. He was strutting around telling people he was right with God. And one of the more recent things he had done was to steal his brother's wife, Herodias, and marry her. Now that uh, uh, involved two major violations of the law in this matter. They both left their mates to enter marriage. That constitutes adultery. Herodias had been, secondly, Herodias, Herodias had been married to his half-brother of Herod, which means this marriage was to a near-blood relative. Herodias was Herod's niece. That was a violation of the law, and we could go back to the Old Testament and look at uh, where that is. But apparently the people of Israel were talking about this. And so when John learned about it, he said, yes, and what have you done about the violation of the law of God? John said, this is a wicked violation of God's word. And verse 19 says, John reproved him, which means he rebuked him with the word of God in a way that was fully exposed the evil of what he had done. He told him what he was doing was against the law of God. Well, the Pharisees reported that to Herod. And Herod saw this as a great threat to his power. This would undermine his political credibility. And great ministries cannot exterminate sin, but they can certainly expose it. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Ephesians 5.11 And so what John did was expose the sin by using the word of God and the law of God, and this is what in part made his ministry a great ministry. And then we come to another observation, and that is that John suffered for his faithfulness. Verse 20. Added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now there is something very interesting to observe here. 
John was the greatest prophet of God, and yet he was hated by the greatest religious and political powers of the earth. John was locked up in jail by Herod. And those who are great in the sight of God often end up being hated, mistreated by many people in this world. You know, one of the greatest fears that we should have is the fear that everyone would like us. You say, well, that's kind of odd. We all like to be liked. But one of the greatest fears that we should have is that everyone likes us. You see, the moment we discover that all men are speaking well of us, that's the moment we realize maybe I'm not in tune with God. Great ministers don't have their primary objective to make friends with the world. Our primary objective is to communicate truth. And many times people don't like the truth. It does not mean that we go out of our way to antagonize people or ostracize ourselves from them. But when we tell the truth of, about God, about his word, there are times we're not going to make people happy. We will be hated. Just think what happened to those who preached the truth. John here was jailed. Later he was beheaded. Stephen was stoned. Andrew was hung on the cross for two, two days. Peter was crucified upside down on a cross. Paul was beheaded. And history tells us that James, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all eventually were executed for their preaching, for their message of the truth. All those preached the gospel, preached the truth about sin and Jesus Christ, and what is so sad that most of Israel rejected their message. And we dare not make the same mistake. No one will ever be right with God until he's willing to confront sin in his life. But John preached salvation may be found in the one who would come after him. And the one, that one was Jesus Christ. Listen. Our government and... Many in the world and even throughout our country and state are becoming more and more unfriendly to Christianity. There's a great deal of corruptness in our country today from the highest level to the lowest level on the streets of our cities. What are we to do? What do we do? You may think, well, I need to sound off on social media. You may think, I need to carry signs and march on the Capitol buildings, whether it be in Madison or Washington. You may think, I need to write letters to the president, the governor, my representatives in Congress. You may think, I need to give large amounts of money to people representing my way of thinking. Now, I'm not going to say you shouldn't do those things. That's your, your call. But you know what the most important thing you and I can do? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, and that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. And then keep sharing the gospel message where God puts you. 
Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16. You say, preacher, I can't go into all the world. No, but you can go into your part of the world. And I trust that we won't sit and wring our hands and say, what are we going to do? Cast your care upon him, for he careth for you. Pray for your country, your leaders. Pray for uh, those in authority. And then keep witnessing and giving out the gospel message. Let's pray. Father in heaven.